You are listening to the Mercy View podcast. Mercy View exists to be a gospel-centered family of missional disciples to the glory of God and for the city's good. For more information about Mercy View, please visit our website at mercyview.com. Now, let's taste and see that the Lord is good. Romans 12, 1 through 8 says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given me, I say to everyone, among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and the individual members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to, the, to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the, and the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good evening. Uh, my name is Trey. I'm a church planning resident here at Mercy View. I'm excited to have a chance to Uh, speak the Word of God uh, this evening. Uh, So if you have your Bibles, do keep them open to where John just had us in Romans 12, 1 through 8. We're going to spend quite a bit of time there this evening. Uh, But as we move into the text, I want to ask us this question. I want us to consider it this evening. What motivates you? Or maybe ask another way, what is it that drives you? Think about that for a moment. This morning, you got out of bed, you started your day. In some way, you got ready, you brushed your teeth, you combed your hair, you put on clothes, and and then you went about the rest of your day. You most likely ate something, drank something, you did various tasks regardless of where you found yourself, whether that was at home or going out to the park because the snow's finally melting or driving in the car. From the moment you wake up until you go to bed tonight, you're going to be making decisions. In fact, uh, research shows that the average adult makes about 35,000 decisions every day. That's in perspective, 245,000 decisions a week, over a million decisions a month, and 12,775,000 decisions in a year. So if you were to live to be 80 years old and you started making that many decisions a day at 18, over the course of your adult life, you would make 792,050,000 decisions. When put in those terms, I think the question, what motivates you, seems to carry quite a bit of weight, doesn't it? The driving force behind your life is going to determine the outcome of thousands of small moments and small decisions each and every day. And most of us today probably make the assumption that 
that we know, what we know and what we think, our brains, our thoughts, that's what's driving our decision making. However, if we, if we take a moment to reflect a little deeper, what we'll start to see is that life is not made up of all of these decisions that we are just using what we know to make. Of those 35,000 decisions that you make today, far less of them are going to be made based on what you know, and far more are going to be made based on what it is that you want, what you desire. The motivation for the way that we live our life comes from in here, not from up here. For example, you probably know that hitting snooze on your alarm when you get ready to get up in the morning is not going to result in you getting extra rest. You're going to wake up more tired than you would have been if you had just rolled out of bed at 5.30 when the alarm went off. And knowing that, I'm still going to hit snooze about six times tomorrow. What you want, or what you know, matters far less than what you want at 5.30 in the morning. And so, Paul here in Romans chapter 12, when moving from doctrine, moving from the first 11 chapters of this book where he's showing us what we need to know and what we need to believe about God and about what God has done, to our duty, what it is that we do with that knowledge, he doesn't seek to motivate us by appealing to the finer points of doctrine. It's there He spent the last 11 chapters telling us what we should believe and why we should believe it. He's been reasoning, exhorting, encouraging. But his appeal isn't to the mind. Paul appeals directly to our hearts. Look at verse 1. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. This is what everything flows from. That therefore in the middle of that sentence is therefore a reason. He is saying that everything I'm about to call you to in your life in Christ, it's to be built on a foundation of what's come before. And I'm not going to reason from the stuff that came before in these chapters to your brain. There's some heady stuff in there. There's some important stuff. And it's what builds the foundation for the Christian life that Paul's going to talk about here. But as he's seeking to motivate us to walk in this new way of life, the motivation that he goes for is not what we know about God, but we've, what we've experienced from God, the mercies of God, which makes perfect sense because the biggest theological argument, the thrust of the argument that he makes in chapters 1 through 11 of Romans is the way that God has worked grace through Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit into the hearts of his people. The church in Rome, you and I, some 2,000 years later, we have received the mercies of God. And it's the mercies of God that have changed us. And so, because of that now, we're able to do what he's going to lay out here. And look with me at the rest of verse 1. He says, now that we've been motivated by the mercies of God, we are to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual 
worship. That's a pretty tall order. He's saying give your whole self, all that you are to the Lord, your physical self, your emotional self, your spiritual self. Paul is saying that because of the mercy of God, we are to give all that we are wholly and completely to him. And what is the mercy of God? What is the love of God? It's Romans 5. It's while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so with that in mind, as we get ready to look at the next few verses, and Brad said a moment ago, we're in a series right now called Third Person, where we've been exploring the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And Brad spent a lot of time showing us who the Holy Spirit is and what it is that the Spirit does. And then last week, we made that shift into this series within a series, looking at the way in which what the Spirit does and how the Spirit works in us is worked out in our lives. And so Ryan went through the ministry gifts in Ephesians chapter 4, and we we looked at those. And next week, Brad's going to dive into two weeks of looking at those manifestation gifts in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14. But tonight, my goal, what what I want us to do is look at Romans 12, 1 through 8, so that we can see what um, some call the motivational gifts of the Spirit, but specifically, what I want us to, to see is what motivates us to walk in these gifts and all of the gifts that we're going to be looking at. What drives us, what pushes us to walk in this manner of life that God would call us to here in this chapter. And so before we start talking about gifts specifically, we need to take a moment and we need to see two things. We need to see that the motivation for the Christian life and using the gifts that God has given us comes from the mercies of God that transform us and humble us by knowing and believing the gospel. That's what the entire message of Romans 1 through 11 is. And because the gospel transforms us, We are then rightly moved and motivated to use the spiritual gifts that God has given to each of us for the growth and unity of the body. And so for the next few moments, let's take a look at verses 2 through 3. If you have your Bibles, we're just going to camp out there for a moment. And let's see how grace, how the gospel transforms us by giving us a new mind and new motives. And it humbles us by allowing us to see ourselves as we truly are. As Paul made his appeal to us to to give all that we are as living sacrifices, he begins to flesh out what that change looks like in our lives. And so in verse 2 he says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. He says, don't be conformed to this world. Or another way to say that is don't be conformed to this age, to this this present mindset, this present cultural worldview that exists. And so we think about that word that he says, don't be conformed for a moment. What does it mean to be conformed to something? 
Well, it means to fall in line with, to behave in a way that would be deemed culturally acceptable based on whatever context you find yourself in. And so if I think about uh, maybe an illustration that would help you uh, grasp onto that, um, back a long time ago, um, there were these things called concerts that uh, we got to go to, right? And we would go listen to music. And when I think about concerts, my brain automatically goes to a certain kind of concerts because, as you can tell, I'm wearing boots. I'm, I'm a country boy from South Arkansas, and so country music concerts are the, really most of the experience I have with going to concerts. And here's something that I've noticed about those kind of settings. People who go to country concerts, by and large, are conforming to a culture that they don't actually live in. There's thousands of people, all of them, wearing belt buckles, pressed wranglers, and boots, and they bought them for the concert. But they don't actually do that or dress like that. And then the people who actually do are just wearing whatever normal jeans they have with whatever boots that they wear every day. That's, that's conforming to a culture because that's how you think you're supposed to fit in here. And so you see these people who've never wore boots in their life with jeans that don't fit and hats that are a little bit too small because they're trying to conform to a culture. That's a picture of conforming. And so here is what Paul is saying to us. He's saying there's a way of thinking and being that is contrary to the kind of living sacrifice, transformed life that God would call us to. And you don't have to look very far to see that in our culture today. And the reality is this is probably the one command in the New Testament that is obeyed the least. Because if we really take a look at the moment that we find ourselves in right now, it becomes obvious rather quickly that many who call the name of Jesus are conformed to the spirit of the age and not transformed in the renewing of their mind. And that might sound a little bit dramatic, but it's true. But just consider how much of the content that we consume on a daily basis, and I say we because I, I'm consuming it too. Think of how much of it, though, is filled with a type of worldview messaging that runs counter to the life that we've been called to in Christ. And that stuff is formative whether it's Netflix or some podcast or music. And, and that's the way that the second half of this sentence begins to work here. As Paul says, don't be conformed. Don't let the culture that you find yourself in, like John was talking about a minute ago, that we, we live in and amongst it, don't let it become who you are, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. See, the way that we're able to present our whole self to God as a living sacrifice, not conformed to this age, is by being transformed through the renewing of our mind. Having a mind, a new mind, isn't something, though, that we can do on our own. It's a gift from God. The new mind that you have in Christ is not yours because you got it. It's yours because God, by his mercy and by his grace, in the saving work of Jesus, has given it to you. It is yours. And so we walk in that. 
And so how do we see our mind renewed that our, so that our lives are transformed? Well, there's other places in Scripture where we see um, uh, in the New Testament, specifically in Paul's letter, this idea of having our minds renewed. And so if we look over to Ephesians chapter 4, actually right after what we looked at last week, we'll see that Paul says as he's continuing in that book to talk about this ethical, this Christian life that we are to live, he says, no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds, having given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But we are too, he says, put off the old self, corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your, in the spirit of your mind, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And so it seems that part of having a renewed mind, part of being transformed, is putting away sin. It's confession. It's repentance. It's recognizing your sin continually and turning from it to Christ because he's rich in mercy. And that same mercy and grace that motivates and compels us to present all that we are to God as a living sacrifice. And so therefore, part of renewing your mind is putting away sin but then there's this other part of it as well. It's, it's this putting on the new self. And so we could talk about that in several ways, but I think Philippians 4 really helps us get to this idea of putting on the new self in the mind in verse 8 when Paul says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Fill your mind with these things. And so this evening, as we consider what it means to be transformed and renewed in our minds, let me ask you, what are the things that consume your attention? That when you don't have things to think about, that you just have to do, work, school, bills, parenting, your spouse, what are you thinking about? What are you gazing upon? See, whatever our default gaze is, our distraction, that will quickly become all-consuming if it's not kept in check. Like, it can be an okay thing. It can be a good thing. But if what we're gazing at, if what we're looking on is not Christ, or it's not something that falls into this category that Paul has here in Philippians 4, then quickly that can consume us. And when it does... The results can be deadly. We all have something. We all have something that consumes our attention. And all of us have something that is not renewing our mind that consumes our attention because all of us are bent towards sin. You see, what those mercies of God that Paul talks about at the top of the passage, the ones that he's appealing to as our motivation for living changed lives... Those are the way that God bends our hearts back toward him. Naturally, they're bent toward sin, but God is working through his mercies to bend them back toward him. Think about it like this. His mercy and grace, when applied to our hearts, are like a torch applied to a piece of steel. When you heat steel that this hard, stiff, unworkable substance, it becomes soft and malleable. Crooked pieces can be straightened, 
Pieces bent the wrong direction can be bent the other way. And so too does God's mercy bend our hearts. These hard, stiff, unworkable substances. And he bends them toward himself. He bends them toward holiness and righteousness, toward a renewed mind. And when that happens, we see our thoughts begin to shift. Specifically, our thoughts about ourselves. And so look at verse 3. Paul goes on, he says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought, but with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Here's what a mind renewed and transformed by the mercies of God looks like. When Paul says that we're to think with sober judgment, he's saying that grace has given us to see, the ability to see ourselves rightly. We can't think of ourselves more highly than we ought because we're actually aware of who we are. That apart from the grace and mercy of God, we're like a bent, crooked piece of rebar. But his mercy has come to us and it's heated our hearts and it's unfrozen us and it's, it's brought us to this place where we are transformed. Where what's twisted and contorted by sin, stiff and unmoving, is made straight. When the mercies of God have found, has found us, we're transformed. Not by us, but by God in Christ through the Spirit. And when we see that, that the gospel has transformed us, we're able to move into Paul's exhortation here on spiritual gifts. The transformation that's wrought by the mercies of God provides the right motivation for us to use the gifts that God has given us because he's gifted us for the growth and unity of the body. And so that's the second thing we need to see tonight is that God has gifted, he's gifted us for transformed life together. And so in each of these three uh, spiritual gift passages, we see the same analogy. That the people of God in Christ function like a body. And so look with me at verses four and five. Paul says, for as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of, it, of one another. So verses one through three laid the foundation for how the new life in Christ is meant to work, is meant to be lived, for what motivates this new life. But here in verse four, we see the context of the new life that we're meant to live. We're to give ourselves as living sacrifices to God, transformed with renewed minds, humbled by grace as members of the body that is the church. We believers are each part of the body. And none of us is the sum total of life together in the church. And that's true at a, at a macro level and at a micro level. Like at, at a macro level, Mercy View, as a church body, is just one church body that is a part of the larger body of Christ here in the city of Tulsa. 
That's why we're a part of the Tulsa Metro Baptist Association. That's why we're a part of Acts 29. That's why we're a part of the SBC. We are a part of the whole working to see God transform, see God save, see God renew a city and the world in ways that we just can't on our own. God has seen fit to raise up various congregations with various gifts and resources for the good of the city, for the good of the world. And so specifically, though, here in Romans 12, we see the body of Christ at a micro level. Paul is addressing individual members of the body within a local congregation. Because the people of God who have been transformed by the gospel are not people meant to be jockeying for power. We think of ourselves correctly. We see ourselves in the right way. And so in verse 6, Paul's able to say that we're each individually members of the body. Not, not all of us are hands, he'll say in 1 Corinthians 12. Not all are eyes or mouths. But, he says here in verse 6, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Every believer is gifted to serve the church. Romans 12, even uh, the... Uh, uh, even the other list in Ephesians and in 1 Corinthians, it's not exhaustive. These aren't all the gifts that are listed, but the seven that we see here in this list, here in this text, they're meant to illustrate this broader point. That the people of God have present themselves as living sacrifices to God because we've been transformed and renewed and humbled by grace. And we're united together as the whole body of Christ, as one part of this larger whole. And so when we think about these seven gifts that we see listed here in Romans chapter 12, we should think about them in relation to how God may have gifted us to serve his church. Specifically, this church, Mercy View, and those here around us. And so what are the gifts that Paul mentions here, and how are we to do what he says and use them? Look with me then at the rest of verse 6 and uh, through verse 8. He says, we each have gifts, differ according to the grace given to us. Let's use them. And he says, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, The one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. As we mentioned earlier, there's there's a couple gifts that we have here in this list that show up in uh, the list that Ryan had last week and in the gifts list that Brad's going to have in the next couple of weeks. And so um, prophecy and teaching specifically, though listed here, we're not going to really dive into tonight as we just kind of bring this thing to a close. So tonight what I want to do is I want us to focus on the five other gifts that are remaining here. And I want us to see two things about each gift. One, what is the gift? And two, how are we to use this and how does it function in the local body. And so the first gift that we're going to look at tonight is uh, listed there in verse, I believe it's seven, it's the gift of service. What is the gift of service? In one sense, serving one another is something that every Christian is called to do. 
right? Jesus, as he washed the disciples' feet before going to the cross, he demonstrated that the Son of Man came to serve, not to be served. And we're to do the same. He said, this is how you're to love one another. So service is a spirit-empowered activity that every Christian is called in some capacity to do. But what Paul has in mind here in Romans 12 is a little bit more specific than that. The term that he uses that we translate as service uh, is the root word for um, our English word deacon. And if you remember back to Acts chapter 6, there was this dispute in the early church because some of the Greek-speaking Jewish Christians were being neglected in the daily distribution of food. And so the, the apostles, they knew that um, it would be to neglect their gifting and what God had called them to do to stop preaching the gospel and to start waiting tables. And so um, led by the Holy Spirit, they said, okay, we need to choose some men who are full of the Spirit, who are full of grace, who are transformed in their mind, and we need to set them loose to serve the people of God. We need to give them the responsibility of serving others. And so um, the, the, pe the people they chose were described as seven men full of the Spirit and wisdom, and they were gifted to serve in a formal capacity. They weren't apostles or elders, but just ordinary men gifted by the Holy Spirit to serve the church. And so here at Mercy View, we have several men and women who serve as deacons, who've been gifted and called in that capacity. And there's also many, many of us who serve and are gifted to serve. And so we serve on the welcome team, or we serve on the AV team, on the worship team, or in Mercy View Kids. You serve as a missional community leader and host or in various ways within your missional community. And, and there are also some of us who are gifted to serve, maybe in those capacities, maybe in one that wasn't mentioned, but right now you're not exercising that gift. And so Paul would say to you, you have a gift from God given to you by the grace of God, use it. Step into a place of service. If you don't think there's a place for you to serve, I promise there is. We have a place for you. Second gift that we want to look at tonight is the gift of encouragement. Or um, in the ESV that we read a moment ago, it says the gift of uh, exhortation. Which means to strongly encourage someone else to do something. But really, either of those words, just encouragement by itself or exhortation, it, it kind of fails to really dig into what Paul is getting at here in this passage. And so I, I found what uh, pastor and, and commentator James Boyce said in his commentary on this passage. He said, um, encouragement has become a rather weak word for us, usually meaning little more than an attaboy. But the Greek is, is parakletos, which literally means one who is called in alongside another to help out. And so if we put this thought into our passage, we get something like, let the person who has the gift of getting alongside another person to help him or her really do it. Let him stand by his friend and really help. I think most of us are probably guilty of being in a situation where someone begins to pour out their heart to us and the struggles that they're experiencing and going through, and we, with a, a bit of sympathy and compassion, go, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I I'm going to be praying for you. 
And that's the extent of our prayer. But the person with the gift of encouragement is the person who when you bump into them in the aisle at Walmart and you begin to share with them the struggles of your heart, they jump into the ditch beside you in the aisle in Walmart and they begin praying for you and that situation really with such fervor that it's like they're touching the throne of God right there. That's someone with the gift of encouragement. Some of you have this gift, and some of you, and you use it liberally. You are the person in the aisle at Walmart, not letting a moment go by without diving into the muck and mire of your brother or, or sister's struggle. I know because I've benefited from it personally. It's an amazing gift. Others of you have this gift, but, and you've used it, but, but you're timid about it. Embrace the work of the Holy Spirit, what God has done in you, what he's gifted you to do, the empathy and the compassion and the getting alongside that you have, that you feel in your heart. It is a gift from God. Walk in it. Use it. Third gift I want us to look at this evening is the gift of giving. And, and looking at this, I, I want to kind of put it up and against a way that um, this gift or this, this exercise is often used inappropriately. Um, th there's a story in Acts chapter 4 about a guy named Joseph who, if we use what Brad calls our sanctified imagination, we can kind of guess that he has the gift of giving because he, he sold a field. And even though the text doesn't say it, I think he had the gift of giving because when he sold this field and made quite a bit of money, he takes the money and he goes, you know what? Man, I've made some money, but I don't need it. I'm going to take it to the apostles, and I'm going to lay it at their feet, and they can use it how they see fit to advance the kingdom of God. That's, that's the gift of giving. He's content with what he has. He doesn't need anything else. And as he did this, there was a couple in the church who saw it named Ananias and Sapphira. And in Acts chapter 5, we actually see that they saw this guy named Joseph exercising his gift, and they thought, man, that gave him some status. And so they had some property. They went and sold it. And both of them knew what was going to happen. Ananias said, hey, I'm going to go and I'm going to give this to the apostles. And I'm just going to give them this much. And his wife knew how much they sold the property for. And he goes and he says, hey, uh, listen, Peter, I, here's all of the money we made from selling this house. Here's our gift to the work of the ministry. He was trying to gain status and gain standing. And Peter looks at him and he says, man, you're not lying to me. You're lying to the Holy Spirit. I know that this isn't what you sold the whole parcel for. And God strikes the man dead right there. And his wife comes in a few hours later. She knows what it was sold for. Peter asks her, hey, did, did you give this? Is this the whole thing? And she goes, yeah, it is. He's like, you're not going to earn standing in the church. You're not going to earn standing with God because you give. And she was struck dead immediately as well. They took the name of the Lord in vain. They, they mocked the gift of God that had been given to someone else as a way to gain. And I, and I make that point because I think that we see the same kind of spirit alive and well today in the prosperity gospel. The idea that I can give in order to get back something. But those with the gift of giving are not just generous people who are trying to get something. They're generous because God has just made them generous. They're content with what they have. And they just love to give things away. They give their time. They give their possessions. They give their money. 
This is one of those gifts that some people have for a lifetime after God calls them to himself. And I've seen this as a gift that God empowers people to walk in just in a season and just for a moment of time. We are all called to be generous. But some of us, God has equipped by the Spirit to live life with open hands. To be content with what we have and willing to let it all go if it might serve the body and the expanse of the kingdom. Not for ourselves, but for him. Fourth gift I want us to see tonight is is the gift of leading. And the word that Paul uses here is, uh, it gives the connotation of organizational or administrative leadership. People gifted to lead this way are those who know how to take people alongside with them, how to delegate responsibilities, how to assign tasks. And for the church to function, we need these kind of leaders. People gifted to lead this way are, are the people who oftentimes are elders. This gift is also situated between the gifts of giving and mercy. And so theologian Gordon Fee, he makes the case that what Paul is, has in mind is related more to caring for others than just authoritative governing leadership. He argues that there is more of a shepherding element to this gift than an organizational one. And in the church, I think it's fair to say that both come into play. The people with the gift of leading are oftentimes doing both or one or the other. And so I think about our missional community leaders, like Ryan mentioned this last week. Especially in this season of COVID, there is a lot of the task of leading a missional community that is organizational. You got to figure out when to meet, how to meet. But as Ryan mentioned last week, that This is a space where we see men and women stepping into a role where they're leading as as just shepherds, just walking alongside other people and leading them toward a deeper, more rooted faith in Christ. And the last gift I want us to see tonight as, as we get ready to wrap this up is the gift of mercy. It's the last gift we see here in Romans 12. And and Pastor Sam Storms, commenting on this gift, notes this is direct, immediate, hands-on ministry to those in need. And he comments further that this gift must be exercised cheerfully. Why? Because often the work of mercy is disagreeable and difficult and demanding. Our inclination is to show mercy with a frown. It's a perfunctory and perhaps grudging kind of service. But those with the gift of mercy, they're those who see needs and they can't help but jump into action. And so I think about our ministry partner here in the city, City of Hope, uh, that does outreach to the homeless community here in Tulsa. And out in this disastrous weather when all of this freezing temperatures rolled in, they were um, out serving men and women, making sure that they were warm, making sure that they were fed, that they were clothed. It's the gift of mercy. And we got friends at the church that we actually served at previously who um, are special needs teachers, and they just felt so much compassion for the folks in the congregation who had uh, special needs, who had uh, autism and, and various other disabilities, and they created a special section, special service for them so that they could hear the gospel and worship God together in a way that was free of the kind of noise and ordered chaos that we experience in here and take for granted. 
so that they could be in a place that was fitting for them. They, they have mercy and compassion. And so has your transformed heart been bent by grace, by the grace of God and the power of the Spirit toward mercy? Where can you jump into something that's already taken place? What new acts of mercy could God begin through you? So as we close our time together this evening, I want to take us back real fast to Romans 12, 1. We've said it no less than a dozen times tonight, but I want us to hear it again. Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And I mentioned it earlier, the gifts that Paul mentions at the end of this passage, they're called the motivational gifts, gifts that move us into action. But this verse is where the motivation comes from. That's Paul's plea, his appeal, because of the great mercy of God toward us. That's how we can live completely poured out before him. And so this evening, you might not be asking the question, how has God gifted me? You, you might be wondering, how could God have mercy like this for me? And I tell you tonight, he does. And his white, hot love and mercy is ready to bend your crooked and sinful heart back toward him to bring you into alignment with all of the goodness and all of the love that he has for you. For those of us here who have experienced the mercy of God, how has God gifted you? It could be possible that there is someone here who's a believer and doesn't really feel that they're gifted in any of the ways we talked about tonight. What way has God gifted you? I think it's far more likely tonight that we find ourselves resonating with one or maybe more of these gifts. And the question that we need to leave with is, what are we doing with the gift that God has given us? Paul says, we each have a gift, use it. He charges Timothy in 2 Timothy, fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you. And so are you fanning that gift? How has God gifted you? When you've discovered and you've started walking in the gift of God that he's already given to you, he says, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts and ask God where he wants to use you for his glory next. And with that this evening, let's pray.